Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. We love hearing about your success and what you're getting out of the show. In fact, I've got a note I wanted to read to you from a listener on iTunes. Jeff Savage says, Nothing has helped me more in business and life in the past two years like this podcast. Brian does a phenomenal job bringing content that has benefited me at work, at home, and in my life. I feel I'm gaining an edge by listening to this podcast and applying the principles and concepts. Thanks, Jeff. We appreciate your kind words. And to anyone else who'd like to drop us a line or leave a review on iTunes, we sure appreciate the feedback. Now we're going to dive into today's content with Brian. And if you're a Buffini Insider, we've put together a resource for you that highlights his main points from the episode. And it's an awesome visual reminder of this great content we will hear today. If you're not yet an insider, we'll share how you can get in on that resource at the end. Over to you, Brian. Well, the top of the morning to you. Welcome to the Brian Buffini Show. Today, we're kind of delving into Brian's bookshelf. Books I enjoy, books I've read that have helped me along the way, that helped me today. Now, this book is a great book for today because it's a very short book. In fact, this is kind of like a bathroom reading book. It's a little booklet, is what it is. has about, uh, let's see, 40 little pages. You could probably get through it in about 15 minutes. It's perfect for today's society and the attention span that we currently have. And so the name of this book is The Advantages of Poverty from Andrew Carnegie. And you think, hang on a second here. I don't tune into this stuff to get negative messaging. I tune in to get fired up and the mindset, motivation, and methodology of success. Well, this guy wrote a little book, and it's interesting that a man with so much to say chose to say so little. But it wasn't the volume of what he said. He wasn't trying to sell a book. He didn't need to sell a book. These were just his best thoughts that he wrote down. And he wrote it down as the advantages of poverty. Now, that's interesting for a man that was considered one of the richest people of all time. Now, I'll give you a little backstory here so you can know who it is we're talking about. Andrew Carnegie, he was born in Dunfermline in Scotland, and he immigrated to the United States in 1848. So think about it now. It's like 12 years before the Civil War, okay? So he started working when he was about 10 years of age. He works as a cleric. He worked as an assistant to a man who ran some railroads who actually uh, took him under his wing and uh, mentored him and helped him become an educated man. In fact, I'll share a little bit of his journey today on how he got exposed to books and how books made such a big impact on his life and personal growth and development became such a big impact on his life that he used his entire vast fortune later in his life to help other people this way. So an amazing rags to riches story. You know, he was a laborer that became a third class administrator that eventually became the owner of what became U.S. Steel. It was Carnegie Steel. He sold Carnegie Steel for $303 million in 1901. Now, can you imagine what $300 million is worth in 1901? You know, that's in the billions. It's billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars today, okay? A pretty amazing guy. He was the guy that led to the expansion of the American steel industry in the 19th century and all that it entailed, bridges, roads, the whole thing. And also showed how to live well. At the end of his life, he became a leading philanthropist. And during the last 18 years specifically, he gave away $350 million. Now, I want you to think about that number. It's interesting because it was 90% of his fortune. Now, since he gave away, he sold his company for three hundred and three. He gave away $350 million. The Carnegie Foundation, 
from the compounding effects of the money that was in it has to this day given away 450 million more. So that's the magic of compounding. That's the power of capital. This guy was a remarkable dude, and he did all kinds of stuff. Obviously, you've heard of Carnegie Hall. You've heard of Carnegie Mellon universities. I mean, this guy invested in science. His World Peace Organization. In 1912, World War I was supposed to break out. And it didn't happen because of Carnegie's World Peace Organization. Kaiser Wilhelm had made him a promise. And it wasn't until, you know, obviously the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand and so on and so forth. And it's actually a fact of life. And it's something stated later on in the Kaiser's biography that the German army declared war while Andrew Carnegie was on safari in Africa and unreachable. He had that much influence. He actually stopped a world war from happening in 1912. Pretty good for an immigrant that came with nothing. Pretty good for a guy to start out as a laborer, that became a, a clerk. That you grow to such a level of success, you can actually stop world wars from happening. Became the richest man in America. And he wrote a book about the advantages of poverty. So if there's an advantage to poverty from a, a guy like that, you know, you may be in a situation today where maybe your economics are not exactly where you want them to be. You may think, uh, you know, I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. And so because of that, doors have not been opened to me. Here's the thing. I can tell you this for a fact. I've grown up under the oppression of feeling the class system in the country I grew up in. And I was on the wrong side of those tracks. Here's the dynamic. That which was a pain, that which was a wound, that which was a hurt, has ultimately continued to be one of the driving forces. It's one of the things that drives me now. I've learned how to handle that much more effectively than I did in my younger days. But I will share with you that disadvantage of being on the wrong side of the tracks, the disadvantage of not having resources. That was my advantage and is one of my advantages today. So when I came to America, when people were complacent, I saw opportunities. When people were not necessarily performing at a high level, I did. Why? Because I had the disadvantage of poverty. The dynamics of the culture we live in today this society, and especially the North American audience, I know over 150 countries hear this podcast, but in North America, there is so many advantages just by being born in North America. You've kind of hit the geographical lottery, and it's a blessing. You know, I like to say the poor in America may still have a car, yet there's many, many societies in the world, and many countries in the world where the vast majority of people don't have a car at all. And so we're also entering into societally the largest inheritance of any generation will happen in the next 20 to 30 years where over $30 trillion of asset is about to change hands from one generation to the next. So what I would say is the resources that we have and the resources we've been given are actually somewhat of a disadvantage. And this is talked about not just by Andrew Carnegie, many, many people. Conwell in Acres of Diamonds talks about the poor young man that was received the large inheritance that was doomed to poverty and eventually fulfilled that prophecy and talks about it extensively and how when you're growing a business, the one thing that the poor man says, I have no access to capital, so what he has to do is be more creative and be more inventive. And that's what this little booklet's about. It's about the advantages of poverty and ultimately the mindset that can create. So if you're in a spot today where you're not where you want to be, you need to stop looking at it as what you don't have. You need to stop seeing the crack in the Liberty Bell, and you need to understand, this is just like the Liberty Bell. This is what's going to ring freedom for you. So I have a few principles for you today I want to cover. We're going to cover principles straight out of this book and a few quotes along the way. It's a great little booklet. It's produced by Executive Books. I think it's a dollar. 
I think it's a dollar, maybe a dollar twenty-nine. And so no matter how poor you are, I think you can afford that. So three principles I've taken out of this little book. Do whatever it takes. We're going to talk about work's reward, and we're going to talk about making a difference. And so poverty. Poverty is a powerful word. It's a strong word. I always like to say, you know, when I came to America, I was poor, but I was also broke. And this is a very important distinction. Because poor, poverty, that's a state of mind. Broke is a state of account. I had to learn that because when I came to America, I was broke and poor, and I just thought I was broke. You know, I grew up, my dad was a painter. He had work his whole life. There was always food on the table. They've lived in the same house for almost 60 years. I certainly didn't feel like I was poor. By American standards, we were. But I didn't know till I came to America that I was broke and poor because I knew I didn't have any money. I had 92 bucks when I made it to the States. But I quickly worked hard, worked hard, and especially when I got into real estate, started making money. But I found myself constantly getting rid of money. I'd get into debt, get out of debt, get into debt, get out of debt. And that's when I realized I was poor. And that was when I went to start to work on myself, my personal growth and development. Because I realized my bank account can be full and I'm no longer broke. But if my state of mind is poor, I'll be broke again. And that's where I became a rich man. I became a rich man once I became rich between my ears. And guess what? Then I was able to become rich financially. So let's talk a little bit about it. We're going to talk about doing whatever it takes. That's one of the key principles right here by Andrew Carnegie. And again, you'll find many of the examples and principles. Sometimes these principles came from the scriptures. The book of Proverbs, again, a very wealthy man named Solomon said, all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. We have a lot of people in our culture today, and they talk everything to death. We have more people who have psychology degrees than any other degree in America. And so we've learned how to talk through our problems and talk through our feelings. There's nothing but talk shows during the day. There's talk shows on TV. There's talk radio 24 hours a day, which is a a multi-billion dollar business. And there's a lot of talk, but mere talk only leads to poverty. All hard work brings a profit. So the first thing in doing whatever it takes is to have ambition. And that ambition ultimately is going the extra mile. Now, I'm going to talk about in my future podcast on freedom to choose how one of the unintended consequences of socialism is a lack of ambition. One of the dynamics is it strips ambition out of a culture. A few years ago, I had a chance to go do a presentation in Europe, and I did seven countries in nine days with Mr. Lally. Mr. Lally was sampling the cuisine every day of all these cultures while I was working. But every time I'd go to present, the head of the association that had assembled thousands of people in every convention center I went to, and we went to, we were in Portugal and Spain and France and Austria and Germany and Italy. We had a great time in Italy, and we were in Greece and all over. But every time I'd go, I'd say, what can I do to help this audience? And they'd all constantly say, can you help our folks have more ambition? In one form or another, can you help our people have more ambition? And it was interesting to me because it wasn't something I, I'd ever really tried to do in speaking to an American or a Canadian audience where basically my career has been, that I never really had to work hard to help people in the States have ambition because it's an environment of ambition. And so ambition is one of the gifts. You can be broke. You can be poor and have ambition. I'm talking about a healthy, authentic view of ambition. And so very powerful. And so that ambition will lead you to doing not only the good things, but also the great things, going the extra mile. A little quote from the book says, Andrew would always take the next step. When he was a messenger boy, 
he would sneak into the operator's office and practice taking messages. By doing so, he ended up passing along an important message and got promoted to operator. He was prepared, and that's what they say, when opportunity meets preparation, that's when success happens. He was constantly taking the next step, taking the next step, not waiting to be told what to do, looking to do it. Not waiting, hey, did you do this? Did you get the picture of the guy? Did we do that? Did we do it? No, it's, he didn't just do what he was getting paid for. He took the next step. He was ambitious to take the next step. What else needs to be done? That's the power. That's the power of poverty. That's the power of the disadvantage that turns into your advantage. And that's why you can blow past your competition. The next thing, big on my list and more and more and more, I'm compelled to say that this next principle from Andrew Carnegie from 130 years ago is more valuable today and less prevalent today than any time, and that's gratitude. That's gratitude. I'm going to share this with you. I see this, and I especially see this in a lot of younger folks, but it's everybody now. It's epidemic. The person who doesn't express gratitude is the same as a person who is ungrateful. In fact, the term for someone who's ungrateful is an ingrate. And a person who feels, oh, that was nice, but doesn't say it, doesn't communicate it, and doesn't articulate it, is an ingrate. Gratitude is profound. It changes. It changes what you think. It changes your perspective. When it's all about us, when everything's about us, we always focus on what we didn't get. When you're filled with gratitude, it changes everything. In fact, I just did an interview with a gentleman by the name of Neil Pasricha, which is an upcoming episode on the podcast, and he wrote a best-selling book called The Happiness Equation. Here's a guy that lost his wife, lost his home, lost his best friend to suicide, and how did he change his life and ultimately change his fortune? By writing a blog called A Thousand Awesome Things. And he wrote every day about something he was thankful for, whether it was something in nature, whether it was a family member, whether it was getting warm underwear out of the dryer on a cold day. Here's what I'm thankful for, the little blessings. That blog, which became the number one blog in the world, eventually produced a bestseller that lasted five years on the bestseller list and turned this guy's career totally in a different direction. I can give you example after example after example. I believe, as talking to you here today, the number one reason for my success is gratitude. I'm grateful to my God. I'm grateful to my bride. I'm grateful to my kids. I'm grateful to my staff. I'm grateful to my clients. I'm grateful for the opportunity. It's an attitude of the heart. You know, there was a gentleman by the name of Colonel Anderson right there in Pennsylvania where the Carnegies emigrated to. And he had a library. And he would open up his library for free to local boys. It was a small little library, 400 books. And Andrew Carnegie was so thankful because he studied the books. He had the ambition. He was willing to do whatever it took, that he did the reading and he grew himself. So when later on he becomes the richest man in the country, he later builds libraries. Imagine that he built 2,500 libraries in local towns and cities in America. That's gratitude. He never forgot it. As an old man, he never forgot what he got as a 12-year-old boy. The thing is, he lived in that spirit. It's like, oh, well, it's easy to say once you become rich. He was building libraries all along. Gratitude is a permanent state. So to do whatever it takes out of the advantages of poverty, all hard work brings a profit. Ambition leads to going the extra mile and gratitude. Gratitude is the greatest attitude of all. The second thing he talks about here is work's reward. That there's rewards when you work hard, when you do it right. So first of all, you look back to the sacrifices made for you. Next, 
that hard work is honourable. Now, he had to talk about this 150 years ago. Today, I'm going to get into this, hard work is for dopes. Hard work is for morons. Hard work is for the guys who aren't smart enough to figure it out. Here's what you do. You build an app, it goes public, you make a billion dollars, and you spend the rest of your time on a beach. That's what's supposed to be success. You know, anytime someone's picture success, it's what they own and where they are. They're on a yacht, they're standing in front of a jet, they're on the beach somewhere in some giant resort, then this and that and the other. That's what success is portrayed as. Success is never portrayed as the person who's rolling up their sleeves and getting it done. And when you do the rewards, and when you really get after it, then you get a chance to become a part of something bigger. So we'll look back on that. First of all, look back to the sacrifices that were made for you. And again, this feeds nicely into the previous point of gratitude. You know, when Andrew came to America, one of his quotes was, he says, I remember that neither my father nor mother thought the change would be anything other than a great sacrifice for them. But it would be better for the two boys. And you can look back, as I do, and wonder at the complete surrender of their own desires, which parents make for the good of their children. Wow. Now, there's a whole parenting seminar we could get into on that. And the modern application, and what about me, and what's my life, and, you know, yoga first, all that stuff. Here's the thing. I know what it means to leave everyone you love behind as an immigrant. When his parents left, they didn't think this was going to work out great for them. But they thought it would work out great for their kids. Here's the thing. When Andrew Carnegie's your son, it works out good for you. Trust me, they ended up okay. They did all right. Promise you that. But that's not what they made. His mindset was, people have paid a price for me to be here. Who's paid a price for you? What price have you paid? What sacrifices have you made? What sacrifices have been made for you? That eradicates entitlement thinking. That eradicates self-pity. That eradicates the lack of ambition. When you realize that people have sacrificed and put it all in for you, it makes you want to put it all in for yourself too. Second piece, hard work is honorable. And again, I talked about this, our culture today. You know, think about it. You know, I grew up when MTV, video killed the radio star, okay? Now imagine you grow up and, you know, folks that are younger than me, well, they grew up with the rap videos. And what's a rap video all about, right? You got booty shaking, you got bling, and you got, you know, Rolls Royces, and it's all about the stuff. You follow? That's what success is, you know? Be a rapper, do this. Whatever the dynamic. Kids are getting this all the time, and this is what success is. Now, I always have a good kick with my kids. We have a person when we do our video projects and wherever else who's a, a makeup artist who works with us. Uh, she's a brilliant lady. And she works with all these Hollywood types. And she's always laughing if ever she's brought in to do a music video because all the stuff's rented for the day. The rappers don't own a doggone thing. They don't own the house. They have all the skimpy girls in the pool. They don't own the pool. They don't even have the girls. They don't own the bling. They don't own the jewels. They don't own the Rolls Royces. It's all rented for the day. And the presentation is you're a dope if you're working hard. There's easy money, easy money, you know? And in the culture and the different things, you know, whether it's sports, be a rapper, sell drugs, do whatever, build an app, win the lotto, whatever it is, make it big and make it big without this thing. All hard work brings a profit and all hard work is honorable. It's a powerful thing. In his book, Advantages of Poverty, Andrew Carnegie says this, I have had to deal with great sums. Many millions and millions of dollars have since passed through my hands. But the satisfaction I had from the $1 and 20 cents of my first paycheck 
outweighs any subsequent pleasure in money getting. It was the direct reward of honest manual labor. When people at the top tell you how they got there, we need to listen. Okay? So this is a guy who started with nothing, built one of the largest fortunes in human history, gave the vast majority of it away at the end of his life, and he's saying that paycheck on his first job meant more to him than any fortune he built afterwards. Here's the thing. How many of us look at our paycheck and go, it's not enough? I wish it was more. I wish I had a bit more of this. As opposed to, man, you know, my work provides this. And then out of this, that provides the opportunity. Whether it's commission checks you're making, whether it's your business profits, or whether it's a job that you have. Another principle from the book was become a part of something bigger. You know, when Carnegie talked about making that dollar and 20 cents, he says when he realized he got paid, he now had some use in this world. He said, I'm no longer completely dependent, but at last admitted to the family partnership as a contributing member and able to help them. I remember that myself, which is, as a young man, we went to work inside our family business. My dad used to give us a little brown envelope, and inside the brown envelope was your pay for the week. And we all paid our mom. Our mom was doing the grocery shopping, and it was the greatest feeling in the world to give some of your money back to your mother to be able to provide, to feel like you were contributing to the family as opposed to taking. You know, I know this is old school stuff, and I know this is not how... My kids don't do this, and they don't need to. I have my kids. They've been earning money since they were young. I have them. The 70-10-10 formula needs to be tweaked if you're not paying rent, so it's you save 50%, you give 10%, and you get to spend 40%, you know? And so that's what I've done with my kids, and that's why my kids have all entered college with enough money for their college experience. All my kids have bought half their car, and I buy the other half. So I've done that stuff with them. But the fact of the matter is, the hard work, it's powerful stuff. When my kids close the door in their car, they know that they paid for it. They contributed to it. Now, because of the price of cars and getting a good car, it's not going to be in the shop very often. Great. I say, I do half, you do half. So, you know, maybe they bought the driver's side door and I bought the passenger door. But every day they know they contributed to it. It's powerful stuff. So when you think about work's reward, and work is valuable, and work is a four-letter word. Sometimes it's a pain. But look back on the sacrifices made for you. Remember that hard work is an honorable thing. And then you get a chance to become a part of something bigger. And then the last part of his life, which is the part we all want to get to. You know, here's the happy ending, millionaire, billionaire, making a difference, giving back, and so on and so forth. But he describes in this little booklet how to get there. And it's grow, give, and guide. Grow, give, and guide. So... In Grow, Andrew Carnegie had what he called the gospel of wealth. And the fundamental idea of the gospel of wealth is that surplus wealth should be considered as a sacred trust to be administered by those into whose hands it falls during their own lives for the good of their community. Powerful stuff. We see this today. Bill Gates. Bill Gates is on a mission to eradicate malaria in all of the African continent. He looked at it and said, you know, I'd love to get after AIDS, but I don't have the money for that. And they built the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and it's dedicated to the eradication of malaria. In fact, his good friend, Warren Buffett, who his wife was a philanthropist, and they did some giving, but he felt like he waited too long. His wife, who was totally just spent her whole life giving to people, she died before they had a chance to really do the kind of good that they wanted to do. So Warren Buffett comes to his friend Bill Gates and says, I'm great at making money. I'm not as good at giving it away. And he has given billions, tens of billions of dollars of his fortune to the Bill Gates Foundation 
to give that money away. At times, they were the first and the second richest men in America, and they followed Carnegie's suit to give back and to give back. And so Carnegie would say this, gain all you can by honest industry. Use all possible diligence in your calling. Lose no time. Gain all you can by common sense, by using in your business all the understanding which God has given you. Now, I'm going to say this to you. You don't wait till you're rich to give. You give as you go. You give as you go. You give what you can, when you can. Because it's not like, well, one day I'm going to give. No, the opposite happens. The more you have, the harder it is to give. And that's why countries that are poorer actually tend to give more. I never forget when Live Aid happened. And we had the Boomtown Rats own Bob Geldof put this whole thing on. And there was a recent movie of Bohemian Rhapsody. And they showed Queen on stage at Live Aid. Here's the thing. The country per capita that gave the most amount of money was Ireland. Of the 25 countries surveyed. At the time, economically in 1985, Ireland was considered at that time a third world economy. So it was the poorest of the 25 countries, but per capita people gave more money than any of the other countries, including America, including Canada. The Irish gave more. And that's not uncommon. It's, again, one of the advantages of poverty. It's not, once I get rich, I'll be a giver. No, you won't. Once you get rich, you'll be a hoarder. And the dynamics of funds, if you look at all the illustrations with money, a lot of the words used are like water. Okay? So we keep our money in a bank, like the bank of a river. We call it cash flow. Uh, Currency, like current. A lot of water analogies are there. Well, let me tell you this. There's nothing worse than stagnant water. It stinks. Water's designed to flow. And so when people become consumed with acquisition, when the things that they own start to own them, when you find your identity in what you have, what you own, or your safety and security is all based in how much you have, it becomes harder to give. So the key is to give as you go. Give as you go, and then all you do over time is change the numbers. And I can live by that. I have lived by that. I can speak autobiographically to that. I'm no Andrew Carnegie. I've never given away $350 million or that type of thing. But I'm a giver and I give all the time. It has made me a better man. It has brought in more of a fortune. It's amazing. I've always found that when I give, it kind of creates more room for more fortune to come in. And that has happened in my life. And so we can talk about that. It might be a little too woo-woo or spiritual for you, but there's a whole bunch of principles on that. And, you know, one day read the Bible. It'll help you too. So whether it's 2,500 libraries, whether it's Carnegie Hall, whether it's universities back in Scotland, the man was a giver who gave, who gave. He gave all the way along, and as his compounding came in, he gave in a big way. He said this, There's really no true charity except that which will help others to help themselves and place within the reach of the aspiring the means to climb. Love this quote. No really true charity except that which helps others to help themselves. So he was not into giving somebody a fish. He was about teaching somebody to fish and place within the reach of the aspiring. So only give to the ones who are hungry enough to grow. Not, I'm entitled to this, you need to give this to me. People who are aspiring, the means to climb. I love that. I'll be honest with you, this quote resonates with me as much as anything I've ever seen because this is kind of my life's work. This is what I'm all about. This is why Buffini Company exists. This is why this podcast exists. For those of you out there that are aspiring, for those of you that want to grow. If you're aspiring and you want to grow, this stuff's for you. If you want to grow, 
Get a coach. You want to grow? Come to our Mastermind Summit. Come to our events. That's what these things are all about. And they're designed to help people grow. Last but not least, he talked about being a guide. And Andrew Carnegie knew that all this success was bigger than himself. He's the guy that championed Napoleon Hill to write Think and Grow Rich. Now, Think and Grow Rich has become the seminal personal growth book and the personal growth and development industry has been built out of it. Whether all these things that people go, oh, I just read The Secret. Well, The Secret took one little piece of Think and Grow Rich. I just read, you know, whatever. You name a book to me in personal growth and development, I can point you back to Think and Grow Rich. How did it happen? Andrew Carnegie used the advantages of poverty to make it happen. He met young, aspiring Napoleon Hill. He said, I'm going to give you a job, but I'm not going to pay you money because I want you to have the advantages of poverty. I'm not going to give you capital and a vast fortune. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you access to my relationships, what we would say in the Buffini system, his database. And he gave him a list of the 500 relationships that he had that were the most successful people on earth. People like J.P. Morgan. J.P. Morgan was the richest man in the world who actually loaned money to the U.S. government on several occasions to help the U.S. government out. He was bigger than the Treasury. J.P. Morgan. Henry Ford, Thomas Edison. These are just a few of the names. Okay, we're still talking about these people 100 years later. He gave access to these folks. And Napoleon Hill took on the job, and he spent 25 years writing Think and Grow Rich. He took a job to pay his bills, but his passion was to pursue that. And Andrew Carnegie helped him by not giving him money and not giving him a false start and it created in Napoleon Hill that hunger and desire and that ambition to produce a work that 140 years later, 130 years later, is still the number one selling personal growth book out there. And that came from Andrew Carnegie. Why? Because he grew himself. You know, he started by reading books as a kid. He learned as he went to give. And then in giving it away in slices, it came back in loaves. And then he was a guide. And he was a guide for other people. So that's what we talked about today, the advantages of poverty. I love these principles. I love these values. I love everything about this. I'd encourage you to spend the $1.29 and go check out executivebooks.com and get your copy of Advantages of Poverty. And I believe in addition to giving, our producer, Mr. David Lally, has a little gift for all of you as well. So I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. I hope this is a blessing to you. I hope you're ambitious and hoping to grow. I hope you feel more equipped that uh, as an aspiring person, we gave you some more means to climb here today. And I wish you the advantages of poverty and ultimately the success of not being impoverished, but the joy of then giving away your fortune and blessing other people. Uh, Thanks for joining us today. I hope you enjoy the Brian Buffini Show. And straight over to you, Mr. Lally, and one of the advantages of being an insider. Well, that was a great reminder for all of us. Insiders, be sure to check your email to get access to that visual resource I mentioned earlier. And if you're not yet an insider, then join us at thebrianbuffinishow.com slash insider. As I sign off today, I'll leave you with an Irish blessing from Brian's mum, Therese. May the road rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields, and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time.